Oh, hello. Oh, shalom. How is it going? How is it going? Oh, it's going good. You know, I'm like a weird little sleepy baby today for some reason, but that's okay. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm fine. I did a lot of recording yesterday. Besides you, I did an hour and a half up with Sam about Quakers, the history Whoa. of Quakers in America. So it's been a crazy recording sesh. And now here we are again. Yeah. You're going to ask me how I am and I'm going to be like, we just recorded shit. I'm the same. It's like you live in a startup house, but it's a podcast house. I know. I know. It's my TikTok house. Yeah. Cursed, honestly. Uh, Michael. Uh... Yes. yes. Hi. <laughs> I really thought you were going to say my name there. I was actually kind of disappointed when you didn't. Uh, Hava. <laughs> Does it work? Yeah. Hello. Hi. What's, Hi. What's, what's going on? Welcome. Um, great to have you on the show today, Michael. Glad to be here. Glad to bring myself to this show. Remember when we first started making this show? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> it just, it feels like it was so long ago, like both in terms of like the historical timescale of everything that's happened this year. Yeah. And also in terms of my personal life cycle and our life cycle as friends and ex-lovers. It was pre-pandemic. Yeah. I remember we recorded on your big king size bed. Mm -hmm, which I still have, thank God. Yeah, it's a, it's a good bed. A yeah, good bed. I'm going to have to move it again soon. I hope it, it survives the move. Your hair has really improved. In that period of time. I know. It's getting longer. It's getting curlier. No shade on your previous hair, but I think we can both agree. It's really come a long way. Yeah, no, no shade, but my previous hair was shitty. Yeah, I mean, you have like this really great like forelock, like covering one eye thing going on right now that our listeners Thank can't you. see, but it has almost like a look sort of like the singer in a goofy movie at the end of that oh. movie. <laughs> Which you probably I've won't never... understand because you don't understand any television references, but just trust me, it's great. That, thank you. Thank You're welcome you for that. Thanks for telling me how I am. By the way, <laughs> how you are is much improved. Thank you. I'm so glad that the Russian judges gave me a nine this time around. Mm -hmm. How are you, Hava? Tell me how you are. Well, I'm curious, Michael. Actually, if since I told you how you are, maybe you can tell me how I am. Oh, um, you're feisty. <laughs> you're you're excited I hate that adjective i know i'm sorry i'm probably gonna cut that but it's okay i just no keep it i want the listeners to know <laughs> like especially when i used to work at starbucks which i did for so many years people frequently are like you're so sassy like you're so feisty you'll say anything you don't give a fuck and i'm like i do you just think everything that i say is sassy because i'm a trans woman and i really don't love that dynamic that's why i say it definitely for sure i was saying that right now Just how you are moment. in this you are sassy sometimes mm -hmm. you're sometimes sure. you're not sure you know so what's on the agenda today well today dear listeners is another episode in our art and talmud series in which i slash we are exploring the relationship between art and Talmud and bringing people on the show to tell us about that. And today, we're very blessed to have on the show Ezra Furman. Ezra, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Welcome, welcome. So pumped to be here. Oh, I'm a fan. Oh, thank you. I'm a fan to a degree. If you, yeah, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, so I'll just say I'm a fan. I'll pretend to be a normal fan. There's no amount of positive attention that could make me uncomfortable. I'm a Leo. Ezra, 
Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, but specifically like who you are as an artist? What's up with your art? What kind of art do you do? Um, yeah, I know about that. <laughs> I, I write songs and sing those songs and perform them with a band. Our band is called Ezra Furman, which is also my name, <laughs> because I'm a megalomaniac. Hell yeah. I mean, not, yeah. I tried. I tried to have band names without my name. and What happened? I was overruled. My early bandmates were just like, it's all, it's about you. Don't try to pretend like this is the Rolling <laughs> Stones. This is your heart poured out onto the stage. And it's true. Frankly, mm-hmm. it's true. And I make records. I used to play concerts. Is there anything else significant? Notable achievement of yours is that you did all that soundtrack work for sex education. Oh, right. That's important. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's how I keep the lights on. That's a cool show that I'm proud to be part of sex education being a show on netflix about british teenagers being sex positive i did really like that show i really liked particularly i really liked the musical at the end of it that's probably like my favorite part of the whole show oh yeah i know i want to go like see that musical in real life like i want to see a full production mounted i only wish i could claim any credit for that musical element of the show (laughs) that's just the, the mad scientists at the helm Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. You're a mistress of all things musical, but you're also a Talmud learner. Yes, true. How did you get into Talmud? Which came first, music or Talmud, and how? Well, historically, music technically probably predates Talmud. Really, my old friend, now rabbi, Abby Weber, told me she was going to see this person, B'nai Lappy, speak, and then I went and saw B'nai Lappy speak with Abby. I was compelled. And then I took a Sephardic class. So I'm a person who's super into Judaism and don't have a lot of people. And back in the day, I had fewer people around me who are also into Judaism. I was like, I have to go toward this queer Judaism like that as the headline. And that was like back. That was back in 2013, I think, or something like that. And then I became a big fan. And Svara did like a full-time study program for a little bit and I was like, me and I was in that for a while and then it was hard to stay in it. (laughs) That is no longer happening so it wouldn't have been possible to stay in it ultimately. Right I think it only went on for a year. Yeah it was a super short little experiment they did. What was this experiment? Svara they wanted to have a full-time Talmud study program and did for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's like a program like you needed to like live in Chicago where Svara mm-hmm. is and like go five days a week and Yeah, exactly. It was a big time commitment. It was mm-hmm. it was like it was doing it. Right. And now wow. I think instead they sort of have the teaching fellowship, which is like a very different enterprise. So Ezra, you have always kind of been into Judaism? Is Svara and Talmud in general kind of just a natural extension of that? Well I went to a conservative day school, Solomon Schechter Day School, from kindergarten through eighth grade. At age 13, I was kind of like, get me out of here, no interest anymore. And then like a few years later, as a teenager, I became a rebellious teenager. And somehow my rebellious teen activity was to be like, I'm interested, as well as like, hardcore punk i'm interested in like orthodox judaism (laughs) that actually maybe is the only thing i ever did that scared my parents and i was like i'm gonna be orthodox and uh 
that didn't work for me as it turned out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a lifelong flirtation with like more traditional observance or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do. I do a lot of Orthodox type stuff, I guess, but I'm also like trans and in a touring band. You know, if it sounds a little incommensurate, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is a struggle that I sort of identify with a lot. What I want to see in the queer Talmud world is like a sort of, I don't want to say a new orthodoxy, because I don't want whatever queer Talmud becomes to have that same sort of like prescriptive conservatism to it. But I'm hoping that queer Talmud, like the scene, the culture will blossom into sort of a, a comprehensive and rigorous approach to Judaism that can help all of yeah. us babies who would become Orthodox if we could, but it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. That, not halacha, but that halacha thing. Or maybe mm-hmm. halacha, our own halacha, I mean. Our own branch of the halacha process, maybe. You're both trans and you're both like kind of want to be a little bit ortho, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit. We both like Hashem to be a hard top. Mm-hmm. I mean, I asked this question to you a couple times in the first few episodes, Hava, but to both of you, what is it? How would you describe to the kind of secular Jewish or secular queer world what is appealing about it? I think there's often this assumption that secularism is sort of the dominant subculture in the queer world, which I have not found to be the case, particularly in like the Jewish side of that subculture in a lot of ways, especially the queer parts of the left are sort of like getting over their naive romance with atheism. (laughs) But that's like a whole episode unto itself. I think the same urge that draws people towards sort of radical or edgy political movements, uh, which I think is the urge to sort of like be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, Hmm. is the same urge that that draws people toward Judaism, something that can really facilitate that sense of something being bigger than yourself is sort of like embracing a role of helplessness in relationship to it. That really defines sort of like the sense of obligation for me in Judaism. Yeah, it's sort of like the comfort of powerlessness can be sort of attained by taking that sort of stance towards Judaism. Wow. That's like fascinating to me and and really like not what I would say first (laughs) what would you say i would love to hear what you would say my first thought on it is like that i just want to be soaked in it the references to transcendence the urge to like honor the most wonder-filled moments of my life i like want it all the time i want it to be a daily thing and I feel like traditional Judaism is like about that. It's like saying brachas all day. You know, every time you walk through the door, you you make contact with it's like holy words about love and holiness. I, I'm talking about a mezuzah. You know, when you you don't drink a glass of water before talking about God. I just like wanna soak in it. I feel kind of the same way about gender. I like need the reminders of hey, like this is the best way you can be. I want that every time I look in the mirror. But that's a scratch on the surface of a big itch. I think I don't say this enough on the show, but, you know, in addition to being a podcast about Talmud, I think that every episode of this podcast is Talmud unto itself, and therefore we can talk about whatever we want, and it still qualifies. But also, I'd love to hear if you feel like there's any 
relationship between your music making and your Talmud study? Or if there's not, how come? I've noticed a an affinity. I don't know if I've thought about it with Talmud specifically, but it feeds right into Talmud specifically. Because I feel like songs and music, I mean, these for me, they're like these passionate recitations of a fixed text. I guess I've thought about it more with prayer, performing songs and praying have a lot in common reciting this elevated language that is like already decided on and you have to the way i do these things i feel like i have to make it real to Mm -hmm. make it real each time ideally it's not rote like it's happening so that's maybe like a skill across skill yeah i mean i want to highlight just like a relationship that occurs to me hearing what you say about that is like, I think when we come to a passage of Talmud, it's sort of our role as Talmud learners to sort of discover something new every time. Mm-hmm. And that's how we sort of like make the Talmud live every time. And that sort of like dynamic of like having to intentionally create authentic engagement each time, like feels very related. Right. It's new every time you come to it, which is what performance is ideally like. Also, Talmud began as an orally recited thing. I've only recently been snapping to the fact that, like, I think learning stuff like Torah trope at a young age, just like learning things that are an oral tradition that, like, are meant to be recited, maybe shaped my brain to listen differently and to, yeah, have words and rhythms of those words in my head in a different way than I might have otherwise. And then also, I feel like art and art with words, for me, it's a place to play with words very freely. And the more Talmud I study and the more I learn about what the Talmud actually is, like, there's just so much play with words happening. It's like this, not only playing with words, but with references and just things that exist for me in songwriting and poetry as well. Yeah, I mean, I really agree. I I am fond of saying to my friends after I make a bad or good pun that I really only have one talent and it's wordplay. And I've just luckily been able to find a field where that's the only thing I need. Yes. Do you have any things that come to mind when you're talking about like this wordplay? Maybe lots of wordplay and puns. There's a lot of puns, obviously, in the Talmud and the Torah. But like, the whole thing just strikes me as like, very playful sometimes the like bringing in a verse as a proof for an idea seems more like a game than an argument they're like how about this and it's like an improvisational the kind of solo you can only do when you know what key you're in and you know the song like the back of your hand and for them the song is the entire jewish tradition that's that's kind of the idea yeah i mean i think I think it's sort of reminding me like one of the things that inspired me to want to make this series about Talmud and art. And one of the things that I think is particularly sort of like art about the Talmud is that when the rabbis are proving something, it's not enough to just bring a verse that could support your position. You need to bring like the verse that most elegantly and perfectly supports your position. You know, there's like an aesthetic element to how the texts fit together. There are cases of halachas where you could use multiple different verses to prove them. But in the Talmud, it's like very specific that you want to find like that sort of like most perfect marriage between proof and concept. And that feels very like an art form unto itself. Yeah. I like when it seems like they're trying to impress each other. Like jazz musicians. It's because they're also gay. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, having seen now many times gays in the Beit Midrash trying to impress each other with Talmud, like I feel like I've really <laughs> seen the modern day equivalent. In the original Talmud, do they have the verse sightings or is that just something that like Safaria and other people add? Oh, you mean like um, like chapter and verse number? Yeah, of like the lines they reference in Tanakh. Well, it depends on what you mean by OG Talmud. Definitely when the rabbis were composing it orally, they would just be saying the sort of excerpt to each other, and they would know it based on that. That's very like sexy one-upmanship, I bet. Mm -hmm. I can see how that could be a total game that a bunch of people play. Yes, it was very referential. You know, it's like they had seen all 12 seasons of the Torah, and they could quote every line and, you know, they could quote it back and forth to each other. This is true for most bands, I feel like, that go on tour together. Me and my band just, we can tell each other jokes literally with less than one word. A sound, we're down to a sound can be an impression of someone that we have encountered many times, (laughs) you know? And yeah, sometimes it feels like the Talmud rabbis are like living together and they're just so... They know what each other's thinking before they say it. Mm-hmm. It's it's gay. <laughs> it's gay. Let's just be honest. So is that a confirmation that your experience of touring with your band is gay? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you heard it here. <laughs> We're all gay, except for everyone in the band but me. <laughs> yes, I mean, I don't know. I I've made these battalions of bros i've assembled battalions of bros seemingly accidentally mm-hmm. more than once in my life and then i just am in with the bros and it it creates some uh it creates some great homoeroticism it creates some serious alienation sometimes and mm-hmm. i gotta form my all trans band mm-hmm. working on that working on the side project we support it you want to join Let, let's form a band oh okay okay sure yeah <laughs> that sounds good okay I'm in. Rehearsal's on Tuesday at 3. Okay. I'm there. A.M. Have you ever facilitated a bandmate's gender or sexual exploration just via exposure therapy? Right, as I have for Michael. I wouldn't be half the semi-femme that I am today if it weren't for Hava. Wow. I mean, surely I've caused stirrings in their hearts. Right. (laughs) I mean, I think it's hard to know... You know, it's like the ripples out from the pond. Like, I'm sure there are people out there. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think my bandmates would mind saying that they are um, very heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> the culture in our band has definitely changed as I've changed. This current band that I'm with, I mean, we formed in 2012. So that's we've got some years on us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I was I was different. I was noticeably different in 2012. Yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Do we want to do a little Talmud? Yes, I love the Talmud. Bring some Talmud, Michael. I'm going to bring you to Sota 48A. Hava, what is Sota about? Sota is about this insane ritual that we have from the Torah, which is essentially when a woman is suspected of adultery, there's this ritual of sota, the sota waters, which is like this sort of weird, bitter potion that you're supposed to drink if you're suspected of adultery. And if you are guilty, then it'll have some negative effects on you. And if you're innocent, then you'll be fine. 
It's super crazy, and I'm sure what you're about to tell us is not actually about Sota, just like every Masechet of Talmud is not about what its title says. Just like how Ezra's album, 12 Nudes, contains zero nudes. <laughs> yeah, we were all disappointed about that. Yeah, it's time for a deluxe edition, full color. We're in Sota 48a. Mishbatala Sanhedrin Batil Hashir Mabait Hamishtaot Shene'emar Bashir lo yishtu yayin. So, when the Sanhedrin was abolished, and it was abolished because of the destruction of the Second Temple, singing ceased at feasts, as it is said in Isaiah 24, 9, they don't drink wine while singing. This is a section of Talmud that's referencing the ban on various types of music that occurred after the destruction of the Second Temple. It's a little unclear to me looking at the history how that actually played out, like some people banned singing at festivals, for example, like this. Sugya says some people banned musical instruments. It's a little unclear, but over the next 1,000 years, various aspects of this ban were lifted. But I just thought it was very interesting that we have a big traumatic event, and what we're doing to commemorate that event is not allowing ourselves to do a very emotional thing, which I think is kind of almost the opposite inclination that maybe a lot of artists would have towards processing a really emotional event like the destruction of the second temple. Yeah. Well, it gives a sense that like when they talk about song, it like is only, uh, there are only happy songs. Like song is just too inherently happy. Sometimes it seems like the whole Talmud is like trying to psychologically process like how to look back on a golden age. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering if songs being in a place of peace, like if that's like an institutional kind of change. Like, all the bands went underground after that, you know? All the feasting bands that used to play at the feasts? Yeah, or, like, they no longer have the big money official gigs. They do DIY shows now. <laughs> like, I'm in the music industry, which uh, often is, like, looking back to, like, wasn't long ago that, like, used to sell millions of records and you could, like, being a, being a rock star was more a thing or a label would give you whole bunch of money and now we got to do everything ourselves and it sucks <laughs> we are no longer in the second temple era of music production i do think we are in the second temple era of podcast production and mm. i'm dreading yeah. the collapse <laughs> oh i know i know it's gonna be awful ezra can i throw some more talmud at you please hurl it further down the page we have amar rav yosef zimre gavra vana Nishe Peritzuta, Zimre Nishe Vana Gavra Hesh, Neuret Lama Nifaka Mine, Lubatule Ha Mekame Ha. Rabbi Yosef said that the reactions of women to men singing is obscene, and the reactions of men to women singing is like fire to kindling. Why did he say this? Like, why did he make the distinction between the two if they're both bad, basically? To nullify one before the other. To make it clear that one of them is much worse than the other. To me, it's not very clear which one is worse. I'm not sure what's worse, fire to kindling or being obscene. But I'm wondering how you feel about these reactions. Well, I'm wondering if they're referring to some obvious 
genre of singing and responding? Is it like when I say, hey, you say... (laughs) Okay, now ladies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What's cooler than being cool? I kind of like imagining that it's, oh, there's some men singing and then some women overhear it and they're just like overcome with... Oh, like Beatlemania. Yeah, it's like Uh, Beatlemania in both directions. That is like fire and kindling. I was immediately thinking of my own musical preferences, which is just the fact that like I don't really care for musical artists who are men it doesn't feel like an intentional like i'm making a political choice that's just like how if you look at my spotify that's just how it shakes out yeah so i don't know what that says about this so yeah but that's my immediate thought yeah i think you don't want to be obscene is that what that tells me (laughs) this feeds into a bunch of stuff that i don't know that much about because i dislike it a lot about like some jews don't want men to hear women singing like mm-hmm, in the right. present day. Holy Yeah, holy The voice of a woman is like a problem for men. And I hate it, but I don't know enough about it to like really intelligently respond to it. Me neither, TBH. Yeah, it seems like there's a problem with intergender singing that Ravio said is having. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it sexual? Is it like, is singing like sex to Ravio Like you're basically having sex with them, someone if you're singing with them right i mean this feels related to something that comes up a lot on this show which is just how sexual and intimate the process of tour study and talmud study is mm-hmm. naturally which feels like another connection sort of between music and talmud you know i feel like there's a lot of mythological tropes of people being seduced by song i mean the sirens they seduce you to your doom it's clearly like a thing at least in the mind of humanity at some point that yeah. songs could really affect you in a deeply erotic way which is interesting because i have not really experienced music that way you never heard someone sing and gone crazy for them no i think my relationship with singing has always been really messed up because long ago when i was a mere 19 year old babe i went to college for music theater and vocal performance and Mm. they really broke me down psychologically around ideas of like what good singing is i was really encultured in that environment to just be like incredibly judgmental about my own singing and everyone else's. And I worked really hard to overcome that, but not far enough. You know, to me, like singing almost feels like it's no longer an immediate sensual experience. It's like something I have a lot of distance from and I've like learned to be chill about, but I haven't learned to just be like in it. Yeah. I know some musicians traumatized by their music education. Yeah. Drilling in certain kinds of holdbackiness. I have been totally seduced by music Mm. at times in a physical way in a sexual way in some (laughs) cases i would say i can think of examples where it does it feels like this song in this person's voice is like melting me you know i think about like uh when i was like a kid and discovering sex and discovering music at the same time and like certain like usher songs i was like what is happening when i was in high school it was like the early 2000s emo revival was what was happening and that's what i was really into for some reason during that period it was like very cool for men straight men in particular to be like very faggy i mean i definitely had a lot of musical crushes in that era but i feel like that exploration was really linked for me like i feel like you know my chemical romance like really awakened my gender and sexuality in a very particular way through like what they were modeling 
The eyeliner. The eyeliner, the dyed hair, the tight jeans. It was really a moment that I feel like has passed by. And I think as an adult, I've been very disappointed to discover how ungay so many of those people are. I've accepted it. My sexual awakening definitely was ushered in by Rogers and Hammerstein. <laughs> Any uh, number in particular? You're going to have to say more. Well, you know, I was in South Pacific, which is like a problematic show. Mm-hmm. But theater in high school, sweet, sweet dated jazzy music backstage flirting mm-hmm. yeah has a special place in my heart a really weird one. Oh yeah right which i also not to be so pointedly drawing parallels but i feel like is a very similar energy to how i imagine the ancient yeshiva is just sort of like you know everybody's studying and then every so often you're sort of like off in the corner with your little yeshiva like boy you know making out in the back room with the books That's how I envision the whole rabbi's environment as essentially just like one big sort of high school play situation. In this passage with the fire and kindling, this sounds like they're saying that like women responding to men, that seems like bad. But men responding to women singing, that's like fire. It's more intense. I was reading it as like the fire is that's really intense. That's like an emergency. But maybe, yeah, you could totally read it the opposite way. And I was seeing it as they're saying like, listen, Women's sexuality, it's a problem. It's gross. (laughs) (laughs) We all know that. But our sexuality is insane. It's like uncontrollable. And I think they're really, you know, they're repressing a lot, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to me, it really has this sort of like homosocial, homoerotic vibe that was very... I feel like going around in ancient societies where, you know, in particular in, for instance, like Roman society, that for a while there was just a sort of ideology that like, well, the manliest thing to do is to like fuck another man and to like, yeah. like a woman is actually like a little bit gay, but we have to do it to perpetuate our society. <laughs> I still subscribe to this. Belief, actually, <laughs> I feel like the vibe in this passage is just a little bit like men should be in the yeshiva singing with other men and women should be at home hanging out with other women and singing with them. And then only the twain should meet in like very specific circumstances. And otherwise our spheres should be separate. But apparently if the temple was standing, everyone could hang out (laughs) together and drink wine and sing. That was party time. Well, Ezra, thanks for coming on the show today. It's been such a delight. I've seen you both as a musician and as a Talmud person from a distance but it's been really fun to have a chance to hang out and talk a little bit. We're mutual fans. It's a good it's true. feeling. Wow. Vibing. Anything that you want our listeners to know about? Uh, the glory of God and the dignity of humankind. Okay, listeners, go check out The Glory of God. You can find her on Instagram at Shekhinah. <laughs> no, I'm just, I, I have plenty of music you can listen to if you like that sort of thing. Uh <laughs> Listeners, go listen to Ezra's music. I wrote a a very gay book about Lou Reed called Transformer by Lou Reed by Ezra Furman. Such a complicated musical figure for the trans community. Very, very complicated. And I only scratched the surface. But otherwise, I'm just like doing my weird secret desert art projects. And uh, maybe one day you'll hear some of this stuff that I'm working on. Hell yeah. We love it. Okay, well, listeners, thanks so much for joining us on this beautiful day. Give us a call on the Talmud hotline at 401-484-1619. Leave us a voicemail, send us a text, join our Patreon, do all the social media things, send us an email at chaihowareyou at gmail.com. 
just like talk to us. Yeah, we just want to connect. Thanks so much for taking part in this, and we will talk to you all soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Wow.